and the tickets. I was in grad school at the time, so I had no money, but you get How last minute tickets. Were they stuff. cheap? They were like 40 bucks. That's not bad. For no, that well, yeah. So, so what happens is they were always last minute type of thing, because all the tickets were like 400 bucks. So I didn't get a chance to see the big, big game at the end. Wow. But I saw like Germany versus Latvia, Women's Canada versus Women's USA, Women's Canada versus Women's Russia, Men's Canada versus Men's Sweden. It was the only game the Canadian hockey team lost. You, get, you are speaking my tune. I love <laughs> watching hockey. Hockey's a great sport. You know, what's funny about that is that my dad said, said I, I was going to say, Dad, let's, let's go to a Grizzlies game. And he says, you don't want to go to the Grizzlies. I said, why? He goes, because the Mustangs are a better team. That's awesome. And I'm like... Really? I've goes, never seen the Mustangs fight. And we didn't have to go clear down in the middle of nowhere. We just drove from Layton over, to, or from Roy over to Ogden. And the venue is awesome. <laughs> Great seats better. everywhere. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Rotations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners may find the opinions and the content expressed disturbing and or objectionable. Hello everybody again, this is Dr. Todd Fredericks bringing you an episode of Rotations from the Deep Underground Bunker at, uh, I'll say it, Building 520. Dr. Dr. Morton's, uh, actually, five, what is the name of the street? 520 Wakaraway. 520 Wakaraway, which is difficult to get to, but Google does a great job of telling you. Um, you, can, you can access it through the great Utah Transit Association's uh, it, it trains. They'll get you very close, so you can walk on over here. But deep in the recesses of the bowels of 520 Wakaraway is Dr. David Morton's lab, uh, which has a, 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 a uh, embroidered... Uh, Print from Ghana, I'm assuming. It looks like a West yes. African uh, yes, uh, right. a scarf. <laughs> and skulls, as you'd expect in an anatomist's office. And giraffes and zebras and all sorts of <laughs> other cool stuff. And this is the second segment of an interview with Dr. Morton I conducted. I am conducting right now. But you'll hear it probably in about three months uh, in, uh, in January of 2020. And I'm at the U. And we're talking about the noted anatomist. This is Dr. David Morton's um, website. He is an educator that has a passion for conveying good content uh, about his his chosen field, which is anatomy, to medical students all over the world. And he does it through YouTube. And so with that, I'm going to welcome back Dr. David Morton. Thank you, Todd. It's a pleasure. I think it's a pleasure. We can mute, we, we're mutually <laughs> having a great time because um, we're talking about education. And, and so I'm going to lead in with this question. You have gone, gone to Google got yourself a YouTube channel, started throwing up content. How does the youth take that? What's the University of Utah think about you? Because they obviously know about you. You have yeah, a Twitter presence, you have a Twitter, you have a, you have a YouTube presence. What does the youth think about this? Because they're in the business of, of getting student enrollments, and you're in the business of projecting education out to the masses. Right. Is there a conflict there? So, no, it's, in fact, it's uh, one of the things that I, I, it's interesting because I've been, there, I've been similar to you, a lot of different institutions, but the only institution that I have worked professionally is, is at the University of Utah. So I don't know if every school is like this, but they have been extremely progressive in looking in the, in the health sciences and looking at faculty that are dedicated to education as opposed to bench research or clinical research or clinical work. And that the retention promotion tenured process 
when I was in finishing graduate school was very pioneered at the time. They didn't really know what to do with us. Yeah. So they really looked at it a lot and they said, scholarly work is something that everyone in academics, regardless if you're an MD or PhD or DO, you've got to be doing scholarly work. But it could look different other than uh, a, a, a journal article that's published in Nature. It could be a lot of different things to add to the body of knowledge. So they looked at scholarly things in education. So I had publications in academic journals, just like uh, all professors, but also I started publishing textbooks and which considered scholarly activity and then doing creating educational videos, YouTube just became the uh, medium, the, the vehicle for delivering them. It was the creation of these that demonstrates that I have an educational presence. So in fact, when I went up for professor, full professor, mm -hmm. it became one of the elements that said, what impact are you having in anatomical education nationally and internationally? And the noted anatomist became one of the facets to show that I have, I'm impacting education internationally because of the number of countries medical students were using in viewing the content. Yeah, I'm going I'm to spin off that a little tangential thing. Textbooks are interesting things because the traditional model, at least for some people, is they write themselves a textbook. They make their students buy it. They make a new edition every other year, so the students can't use the old edition. There's, there's something that smacks a little bit of maybe a lack of ethics there. You know, to me, it raises the cost of education. And now we're in a generation that doesn't want to read at all. They want to consume through audio or video or both. And so it's interesting. My tenure process was very much the same. I was given very serious consideration and ultimately given tenure because almost all my work is audiovisual. It's it's this stuff. It's going out and doing films. It's it, so it is changing. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that's going to be the trend. Are we going to see a trend where there are relatively few textbooks because people just don't buy them, or they're or they're really high quality and the, the lesser quality ones just aren't looked at, and it becomes, hey, Dr. Morton's got a thousand videos on every aspect of anatomy you can imagine. Go watch this pre-recorded video segment, watch this segment of that video, come prepared to class, discuss this. Is that where we're headed with this, you think? So, um, textbooks. Oh, I could go on for a long time with textbooks. I um, uh, there, There's elements what you said I concur. I think it's very difficult that we're sent, that, that it's, it's a whole, oh boy, where do I start with this one? When you look at textbooks, you're selling to a group of people who already have no money. Exactly. Yeah. And because of the way that textbooks can be created, just like anything commercially, it takes money for printing, for cost, for shipping, for storage, for medical illustrators, for editors, the whole bit. And not to mention the expertise of the author or authors. And I think that a well-written textbook is in itself a work of art. It really is. And a well-written textbook will save a thousand hours for a student who's struggling on a concept if it's well done. Um, but students access information differently now. And I, I'm a textbook person. You, you can see on my wall, I, like, I've got lots of books and I just love it. This is how I reference. But students don't reference quite the way that I do. No, in graduate school. What I'm looking for, and it, to describe what Dr. Morton's talking about, is a lovely, a typical academic bookcase, probably made by the uh, you know, U.S. Army at one time. It looks like it's <laughs> it may have been one inch oak. Uh, <laughs> that, it will never be moved out of this lab, I'm sure, because it's too heavy. You need a, a, a forklift. But I'm looking for 
that what you just said is exactly how I was able to master anatomy because anatomy freaked me out. I just didn't. What like did you, do you remember what you what book? Yokuchi's Color Atlas of Anatomy. Yeah, I have that. I love that book. That the, so Yokuchi's Color Atlas of Anatomy was the most expensive textbook I ever bought, but it literally saved my medical school career because it's a collection of pro sections that are just absolutely beautifully done, and I was able to learn that way. So there's no question. And I'm glad you brought it up. You affirm that there's a place for really good textbooks. Yeah. They just can't replace uh, to be able to pull it off your shelf without having access to YouTube or search through it. You can say, okay, that's what we're looking at. Yeah. But it is changing, right? I mean, yeah. there's going to be a demand as students today. They're, they're not going to want to spend $250 on a book that they throw on a shelf for the rest of their life. They want something that is really valuable, right? Yeah. And and that that's why when I think of over the years, uh, some of the textbooks I've published, I've been very proud of. Like I. It put like heart, soul, blood, tears into them. Um, but I've recognized that students access information differently. Mm -hmm. And so now where I get my joy is still creating because I kind of think of myself as an educator as I'm a deliverer of information to be consumed. And yet I'm also the instigator of helping a student learn how to speak the language of anatomy. And I would rather spend my time with them, belly to belly, helping them speak the language of anatomy and solve problems than trying to deliver information to them. So the reason why I've pushed so much more in my last few years is in the video production is because I have complete control over it. I don't have to worry about editors. I don't have to worry about medical illustrators. Mm -hmm. I use my own illustrations many of the times. My editor from McGraw-Hill has said, yeah, you can use the illustrations from the big picture book in your videos as well. So if you see colored pictures in my videos, it's because my editor said, yeah, go ahead, you can use those. So I use some of my own illustrations from the big picture book. <clears throat> but I find so much joy because students really do want, they want to know, hey, I need to know what the uh, difference between upper and lower motor neurons are. Let me watch this 12 minute video. Mm -hmm. They go through this, some of them double speed it, they get the concept and they go on. It's very satisfying. Well, and, and, and that's actually caring for the student as an educator because time is the one commodity that no medical student has enough of. Right. And so being able to watch it on two times speed but still get the essence of what they're doing, it's invaluable. Have you, by, David, have you by any chance had students wrap around and watch your content and say, I like this so much, I'm going to buy your textbook? I don't know. It's a curious thing because I find myself with Audible. I will listen to a book. And if I really like it, I want the book for my collection. I want, I, and I go buy it. And I'm like, so I bought the Audible subscription, and then I go get the book, and I put it in my bookshelf, thinking, you know, if the zombie apocalypse ever comes, <laughs> and I don't have technology, I can have the books. You have the book there. Yeah, and and I've, oh. I've still to this day, I've got Habib's clinical dermatology. I've got Tintinelli's emergency medicine. I've got Harrison's internal medicine, by the way, and I've got Yokuchi's Atlas of Color. Which I'm remembering now. My fourth year doing the section, he borrowed it too. Took in the other lab. Those are very valued things to me. Yeah. I've gotten rid of all these other textbooks, but they, so we're not talking about supplanting that. We're talking about maybe even elevating that and making yeah. it even better. Sure. So why don't we talk about the development of the noted anatomist? You okay. talk about your total control. You don't have an editor because there's always going to be the concern we talked about before we started Wikipedia and the hesitance of mm -hmm. academics to look at Wikipedia I, and the value of that. Uh, Armando Hasadugan and I had a long conversation about vetting information. All right, and. People, people, and I would just say this, don't believe what's in a textbook necessarily because it's all the product of human editors. So it's, so maybe you can comment a little about that. How did you start? What was your process for building the Notre Dame Anatomist? 
And then how do you vet content to make sure that what's going up there for the masses, well over 100,000 people out there in the world, is good? Uh, so the, one of the things I'd say is different. So there are individuals who have YouTube channels and, and dealing, we'll talk about the educational aspect of YouTube channels, that you have individuals who, like Armando, who writes on so many topics and he's an amazing artist and a fantastic clinician and educator. He writes on many, many topics, but he's talking about things like rheumatology one day, physiology another day, pathology another day, farm. He goes on all these and he's a clinician, so he's not formally trained as a pharmacologist or as a physiologist or as an anatomist. So the vetting is different for him than me. I'm formally trained in anatomy. So when it comes to anatomy stuff, I don't worry about the vetting thing. Yeah. This is what I do. This You're is a trainer expert. It's, it, and that's what, and I look at it, and it's an important thing though, because there are, you can't swing a cat. <laughs> We're swinging cats you again. Can't swing a cat. You can't, I see you can't swing your arm without hitting a YouTube channel that is an educational thing on anatomy topics. But if they don't have the credentials, mm. I think that anyone can have opinions on certain things. But if you're now presenting information as if it is credentialed, then this is the way anatomy or physiology or pharmacology is, then it has to, then there needs to be a vetting process. So I go to this one conference called VidCon, which is primarily for just people who do YouTube channels, but there's a small cohort of us that do education. And I met Eric Strong, and he's a internal medicine doc. And he has a, a YouTube channel called Strong Medicine. Is that not the best name ever? It's awesome. Dr. Strong. And he does internal medicine. And so he and I talk about this quite a bit, how we make sure that if we give a YouTube channel, because he has his own channel that is amazing, but it's all dealing with internal medicine topics like EKGs, um, chest x-rays, physical exam findings, etc. Amazing. And I actually tell my students to go to his because I have confidence that it'll be good. If you're using YouTube, it is the Wild West in some ways. Mm -hmm. And so as a course director, I make sure I go, some, I go to channels that I've looked and vetted myself. Mm -hmm. Every one of us who uploads content needs to vet it. But if we're in academics, I vet other people's content before I put it in front of my students. Did that answer your question? It, 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 no, it totally does. And I, <coughs> I, I, by the way, for, for those of you who are interested, everything that Dr. Morton mentions in this, I'll put in the show notes. So if you want to go look at Strong's Medicine or any of those kind of things, we'll get the links and make sure you can just click on it and go, go look at it. Um, no, it totally does. So, so when you were developing Noted Anonymous, what, 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 what do you use to develop it? What products do you use? So I, I first started, I thought, okay, I guess I have to use fancy things and so I tried you know, I started with going into like video editing software that Mac has I'm a Mac user and I found that actually Keynote does everything I want everything and I first started doing I have editing and I realized I'm not making two-hour videos the longest video I've ever made is 30 minutes mm -hmm. most of my videos are between 8 and 15 minutes in that ballpark so what I do is I just go, I, I add everything, Keynote, I'm able to do all my, most all my graphic editing of images I can do in Keynote. I do some in Photoshop, but most of what I do in Keynote by deleting backgrounds, I'm even able to go through and outline things. I do it all in Keynote. All the animations, all of them are done in Keynote. And then I just have a good microphone 
and then I just go record and I start going. And if I mess up two minutes in, I'll go uh, delete all the audio and start again. And so basically it's one clean take all the way through. Well, so this speaks to me. Where are you getting your illustrations at? So I've done a lot. So in fact, that drawer right behind you there. It's a large brown. Yeah, so um, yeah, area 51. When I, <laughs> that was also probably from the military. Yeah, I think so too. I, um, when I was in graduate school, we didn't have access to stuff. So the first textbook I wrote was Gray's Dissection Guide for Human Anatomy. And so this textbook here, and we didn't have access to images, so I drew my old pictures. And then they gave them to a medical illustrator, but the original textbook that we dissection guide we used for years in our lab were my own illustrations and so a lot of those a lot of the images are my own or from my uh the anatomy big picture book i did with mcgraw hill that i've got access i'm able to use some of those pictures which originally were my drawings anyways that a medical group called dragonfly in new york did and then mark nielsen who teaches uh anatomy on main campus he's a cr crazy ninja amazing anatomist he also has a bunch of line art that he's done himself that he's given me permission to use. So it's a combination of all those that I use. Many of them are my own, though, just so I don't have to worry about copyright. Have you resourced anybody at the U? No. Because this intrigues me that one of the ways universities are constantly looking for ways of, of elevating recognition, I keep thinking, we've got an entire school of art, mm -hmm. fine art illustrators, right there on the university. <laughs> Now, it's always the case of, especially I'm married to a very flaky artist, so I can tell you that what artists want to do, what they want to do, and what you ask them to do can be two very different things. Right. But there's always, I'm always prompted, like, is there somebody at OU that I can get to help me with this? Is there a, a CGI illustrator? Is there somebody that I can keep it internal to the college that you haven't had that opportunity yet? So, it, and for me, it became more of like, when I was in graduate school, I was like a brand new grad student. So I, I remember thinking, I need pictures. I don't know where else to go. We had a medical illustrator in the health sciences who's now retired, but they, they charged too much money. I had a project that I had no funding for at the time. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'll do it myself. I did art in high school. I got a C minus in anatomy, but I got an A plus in art. So I'm like, I'll do art. So I started doing my own art and I, and it ended up being this wonderful creative outlet. And I would say that the reason I know anatomy so well to this day is because of cadaveric dissection, and I drew everything. Yeah. Mike Gibson, who is one of the – I'll just say it, and you guys can blast me if you don't like it, but he's one of the top five cardiologists in the country. Um, Michael Gibson. See Michael Gibson. Is, you could just Google him. You know what I'm talking about. He is a trained fine artist. He's also oh, is that right, eh? He's also an interventionist cardiologist, and he teaches his, re his fellows and residents – Percutaneous uh, intervention for cardiology, making them paint coronary arteries. Oh, because cool. he's a fine artist. So yeah, it's a really inter, really interesting interdisciplinary approach to education. And what you're doing is you're doing interinstitutional collaboration. That's I mean, you, and because of the nature of technology, you can do it anywhere in the world. Is that crazy? Yeah, love it. I know it's nuts, isn't it? Um, why do academics fear technology and education? You know, I don't know. I, I think I don't know if they so much fear it as they just don't understand it. I think it's different now. Ten years ago, this discussion is very different than it is now um, because the older guard who didn't use technology. I remember when I started graduate school, my professors were still using Kodachrome slides and overhead transparencies, and PowerPoint was the oh, have you started going over to PowerPoint yet? In like 1999. Nowadays everyone's using technology. 
So it's now, uh, it's, um, I don't know if they're afraid of it as opposed to using it well. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a difference about saying, oh, I'm afraid of technology, I'm not going to use it, as opposed to, well, I know social media exists, how do I use it? I know technology exists, but how do I use it in, in academics? Because I was taught by people who didn't use technology. Yeah. And now I'm the people teaching. And so there's always that handful. So for me, I always have been aligned to faculty who use technology, and I glean as much I can from them. Okay, so David, you've got a hundred thousand sub subscribers at the Notre Dame. That's where I checked. I don't know if you keep. Do you, do you look at your data analytics? I do occasionally. Yeah. Yes. So it's like mind-boggling how many people are listening are, are actually watching your stuff. I mean, it it's it's actually humbling when you think about it uh, to think uh, that there's people out there that are actually on medical school faculties that aren't part of the faculty, but their students are learning from them. So. How does it feel to be an adjunct faculty member at like every medical school in the United States? That's, you're very kind to say that, Todd. Um, I, um, I re, it's very satisfying. I, we all get into academics because we want to help and teach. And I think that when I was, Kurt Albertine was my mentor in graduate school. And I was trying to determine to go to medical school or graduate school. And I went and talked to him. And one of the things he said is, David, if you go into medicine, you're going to be a great doctor and you'll have a great impact on people. If you go into education, you'll have a great impact on people. And he said, there is something very special about teaching and satisfying and helping someone understand a complex thing. And I find it very satisfying, especially because every one of us has the same thing. We have this physical body. Mm -hmm. And to help people learn about their own body and, and to know that I'm helping medical students as well. Very satisfying and has become a great, I just keep using that term, form, a source of satisfaction in my work. And so that the students use the videos, I'm very happy. Yeah. Very, very happy. Yeah, I, I find uh, I, I have referenced a lot of materials. I, I love the fact that when I have a first year come in, Flip classroom, we talked a little bit about that earlier. Flip classroom uh, does challenge students. One thing I've done is it used to be that in the in the second year of medical school, for those who are not listening, we've talked about this in other episodes. Basically, from January to May, you don't see a medical student because they're all studying for boards. Typically the boards occur in late spring. Mm -hmm. With flip classrooms, um, there's still a board study process, as everybody knows. A student can't do that. They're, they're so engaged in learning that they probably don't have the time to do this. We try to train, at least I have been advising students, start between the summer of your first and second year, going to do a regular habitual process of doing board questions and do it the whole year long. And so um, it's nice to be able to look at a student coming in and now have this content where I can say, oh, well, first year entering medical school, you, if your students have already told you, you'll definitely want to look at Sketchy, and you'll definitely want to look at Pathoma, and you'll definitely want to look at uh, the Notre Dame Adams, and you'll definitely want to look at this, this, and this, and figure out what's working well for you. And there's a whole menu now of people that I've had the fortune and blessing of meeting, some of whom are in Australia, like Armando has to do it, that are helping me out to help a student out and mentor them to best practices and help them succeed. It's an awesome thing to me. It really is. Because I remember how awful medical school was. It was a terribly stressful event. And, and if you could just take some of that load off and say, no, this is really good stuff. If you watch this, that learning is good. That's a, that's a great tool to have. There's that part of the 
anxiety of learning and that med students learn a, a really an obscene amount of information oh. in those two years to take USMLE step one. So when they start using a material, a resource that they're not sure if it's helpful or not, it's very frustrating. They start wondering, am I wasting my time? It's, it's satisfying to create something that if a student has the confidence that if I need to learn something in the anatomical sciences and they watch this video, it could help them provide the scaffolding necessary to understand it regardless of what curriculum, whatever medical school they're in. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think it's really interesting to think about that. Well, listen, I had these last, these last few questions talk about the future of medicine. So I think maybe this is a good place to stop on this segment, and we'll do our final segment with Dr. David Morton. You good with that? Wonderful. Okay. Uh, and I want to thank all of you again. You're great patrons of uh, Rotations. I don't have nearly the number of subscribers that Dr. Morton does, but then again, I don't have this great content. I just riff away and <laughs> talk about things that interest me. So Good stuff. as you know, you'll see it here in the outros, but if you, uh, obviously, if you have any questions or you're interested about stuff, um, you're not hard to find. I mean, I can find your email. It's on the U website, right? So, I mean, as with most educators that I talk with, I, I don't think they mind someone emailing them. They may not respond to you, but you can certainly email them, right? I mean, I think that's a great thing. And um, uh, pen, schedule's pending, and of course, we're all, we all have our day jobs we have to attend to. But again, questions for Dr. Dr. Morton, questions for us as rotations, you can always get us, and you'll hear the contact in the outros. And with that, I'm going to end the second segment here. Thank you for joining us again. And I will hopefully get you to listen to the third segment as it appears with Dr. David Morton at the University of Utah. Thanks. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medicine and science as part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of the High University, the High University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communications. Guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. This episode of Rotations was produced by Todd Fredericks, hosted by Todd Fredericks, and co-hosted by Nassar Bakshi, who was also the guest, and edited by Todd Fredericks. Rotations is co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we sometimes pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve the right to all content. You may use Rotations content under provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators. You must cite Rotations as the source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by tweeting us at Medical Cinema for Todd, at Prof Plow for Brian, Nisard Bakshi for Nisard Bakshi, and at Rotations PCAST, or by visiting MediaInMedicine.com slash Rotations. Check us out on Facebook at Media and Medicine. And finally, from me, Todd Fredericks, you can also send me a message through my Facebook page at TR Fredericks. But please, I have sensitive feelings, so embrace your inner non-hater.
Thank you.